Would you welcome Pastor Dan? Thanks, bud. That was awesome. Wayne, that was such a powerful word that you gave from Scripture. And Jim, I hear you, buddy. Uh, I think that's the cool thing about worship is it reminds us of who we are in our nature in Christ. Um, because in my flesh, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I mean, come on. Seriously, look at some of the words that we sing, and they're ridiculous. And they're about, I give you everything. I give you my life. And I tell you, you might be singing that, but you ain't living it. And that's just how it is sometimes. In the flesh, we do uh, get distracted by the things of this world. But I love that in our new nature in Christ, it resonates with us. When we sing those songs, we're like, yes, Lord. Yes, God. That's who I want to be. And I love the process that we're in as Christians, that that truly is happening, that God is becoming the sole desire of our hearts as Christians, as ones that are found in Jesus Christ. So, amen for that. Amen. So, James, almost done. Some of you are happy, some of you are sad. Uh, We have three more weeks in the book of James. In fact, you have your Bibles. Go ahead and pull them out and open up to the book of James. We're in the New Testament. Short book. You might miss it if you go too fast, so you might need the index for that one. Three weeks left, and I'd really encourage you, even right now, this morning, open up your heart to the things of God that He would want to say to you through this letter. Today is an opportunity. Today is a wonderful opportunity to get back, I would say, kind of like we were just talking about, get back into alignment with God, with our love for God, but also with the plans of God and what He has called you and how He has called you to live. Because as we've walked through these scriptures over the past couple of months, I've seen James, he's just addressing, it seems, issue after issue that hinders us or hinder us from living this Christian life that we as Christians are supposed to live. And yet God, by his spirit and by this letter, he's trying to get us back into alignment with the heart of God. He motivates us. He encourages us to leave these hindrances, right? Leave them behind. Leave them behind and live for the things of God. He challenges us. We just talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Challenges us to live by the humility that comes from heaven above, right? That godly wisdom instead of living for the wisdom of this world. For me, as I read this letter, and I've read it a lot over the past couple of months, I see a loving concern from James on the, uh, for the, towards the body of Christ. And some of you might not see a lot of love in the letter, but I see a love for us, a love for Christians, a love for his brothers and sisters. And I hope you can see this as well. He, he doesn't write what he writes to condemn us or to discourage us. He writes to encourage us, to challenge us, to motivate us. He sees, and this is hard for you to handle, but he sees brothers and sisters who have settled. Yes, they have settled for the lesser things of this world. They have compromised. They have sinned. But out of his love for us, and more importantly, out of God's love for us, He doesn't let us stay there, does he? I mean, you either avoid James or you read it and you're challenged by it. And he challenges us to get up by the grace of God. Get up. Stop sinning. Start walking according to our new nature in Christ. Forgiven and free. But sometimes when I read James, I'm just being honest. I'm just like, wow. Right? I mean, he just hits you between the eyes. Again, you can either accept and be challenged or you can just skip it. In fact, I kind of feel this way. If James was here right now standing in front of you and he said some of the things that he said in his letter already to you, you would not be happy. In fact, you would just be like whispering to your wife, did he just say that? Can you say that in church? Or or I can just see him come up and go, James, 
Now, is that a very nice thing for you to say, James? Or the council voting and say, James, we have decided you need a timeout. <laughs> you are just going into the timeout corner. But you got to see James's words, even as harsh as they are, even as challenging as they are, they come from a place of love, from love. And we, you know, we think love is all fluffy and it's chocolates and rainbows and puppies. And James, he tells us, he goes, no, I got no chocolates. I got no rainbows, but I love you. I love you. And I don't want to see you working for the devil. I don't want to see sin have a negative effect in your life. And I don't want you to miss out on all the plans that God has for you to do. I love you. And there's more to this Christian life than you're currently living. In fact, I just wanted to, I actually went through the uh, first three and a half chapters, pulled out some of the encouraging things that he said to us so far. So listen up. He, he said, the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double minded, unstable in all they do. He's also told us when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person, say each person, each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. Say sin. <laughs> sin. And when it is full grown, it gives birth to death. Say death. Hey, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. Here's a good one. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, they deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. You have dishonored the poor, he says. Your faith without deeds, it is what? It's dead. He says, your mouth? Yeah, your mouth. Out of that mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. He also says, if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, your wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it is, come on, earthly, unspiritual, demonic. That's your kind of wisdom. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you don't have what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. When you ask, this is a good one, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you can spend what you get on your own pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. And then he goes on, he says, wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Boom! Right? I mean, just, this is just the first three and a half chapters. I left some of the statements out. I've got to be honest. If I said all of those things, like I was preaching and I talked directly to you, there would be no one left in this sanctuary by the time we were done with the service. Right? You'd all be going, crying, just leaving. Pastor Dan's so unkind and he's so unlovely and he doesn't respect me. Right. You just have a hard time, hard time receiving any of that. And to be honest, I feel like a lot of us are having a hard time with this series. But the reality is you're having a hard time with the Bible. You're having a hard time with God's word. It's making you mad. It's ruffling your feathers because he's calling you out. And whether you like it or not, almost every one of us in this room. Yes, every one of us in this room have areas where we are sinning and we are making excuses for our sin. 
Because I'm German, right? Or because my parents weren't nice or my kids won't listen to me or because I have a stressful job or because I'm, I don't have any money or because of this or because of that. We make these excuses for our sin. And James says, no more excuses. You are a new creation. You are born again. You are a holy one of God. Start acting like one. Yes, you are saved by grace through faith in Jesus. Yes, there is nothing you could do to earn your salvation. It is all about the love and the grace of God found in the person of Jesus Christ. But don't spit on that grace by living for the lesser things of this world. Cherish this grace. Rejoice in this grace. Live out loud for Jesus by his grace. So life spring, I'd say stop warring with the Bible. Stop fighting God. Yield to the Lord. Yield to what he is trying to say to us through this letter. James, he has an intense love for the church. He wants to see it thrive. And more importantly, Jesus has an intense love for the church. It is his bride and he's coming back for it. So allow God's word by the power of the transforming or by the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. Allow God's word today, not tomorrow, today, allow God's word to work in us, to work on us. Let's not miss out on today. And he's, here's the thing, because he's bringing it again. James, I don't know if he had a lack of sleep or whatever it was, but he just has a passion to see his brothers and sisters live for the things of God. But before we read it, before we go any further, I just want to pray. I want to ask the Lord that he would speak to us and, and that we would be able to soften our hearts. Just begin to yield our spirits to the Lord and receive what he'd want to say to us this morning. So, God, I do just right now, we, even in that time of worship where we say you are the sole desire of my heart, where we turn to you and we ask you to be our everything. I, I pray that that would flow even into this message, Lord, as we think about our life, how we spend our days, what we do when we wake up and how, what we do when we go to bed, that we would truly lay it all out before you, God, and say, God, your will be done. Have your way in us again. Be my everything. Be my everything. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I am so excited. All right. So James 4, verse 13 through 17. Now listen. You who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is a sin for them. So it's good and it's intense. In fact, let's read it together one more time. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is a sin for them. So in this passage, we see James, he's continuing his main point of the letter, that this new life in Christ, it should result in transformation. It should result in obedience 
to God's word, obedience to the Holy Spirit's leading. But James, again, he is struggling to see this transformation, to see this obedience in the church. Instead, he sees brothers and sisters in Christ sinning. In this passage, he sees them boasting, right? He says, boasting in their arrogant schemes, consumed by their own desires, following their own plans, following themselves instead of following God's plans and doing the good things that God has created for them to do. So James says in this passage, he says, look, brothers and sisters in Christ, look at how you're living your life. Look at how you're thinking. Look at what you're doing. You're so caught up in yourself and and your agenda and your selfish plans that you even say today or tomorrow we'll go to this city or that city. We'll spend a year here, spend a year there, carry on some business, make some money. You're so proud. You got your your lives all planned out, right? You got your future all planned out, but you've left no room for God and for his plans. We can all be guilty of this, right? Right? We, we, we try to take control of our life, especially our future. But as Christians, who's in control of your future? Try it one more time. As Christians, who's in control of your future? God. Yeah, and James, I think he's yelling at us this morning. He's saying, what are you doing? Why are you so consumed by tomorrow's business and tomorrow's wealth? Why do you make such arrogant boasts when you don't even know what will happen tomorrow? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. He says, who are you to think that you are in control of your future? Who is in control of your life? Who is in control of your future? Is it you or is it God? And I hope this is a wake up call for many of us this morning, because we all slip into this from time to time. Right. We are so scared as Christians to truly trust God with tomorrow. And so we grab the reins of life and we try to keep this right, this tight control over anything and everything, including our future. And the whole time God is saying, let go and let me be in control. But then we grab the reins again. We say, God, but you don't understand God, but you don't understand who I'm responsible for, who counts on me, who depends on me. My future is not secure unless I make it secure. And we say to this God of the universe who created the universe, who declared in his word that he knew you before you were even in your mother's womb. We say this to the God who is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, who knows the number of hairs on your head, who knows the number of your days. We say this to the God who in the Bible, it tells us he is our provider. He is our helper. He is our sustainer. He is the one who will not forget us. He has us engraved on the palm of his hand. We say this to this God. We say this to a God who loves us. We struggle, we struggle to release control of our lives and ultimately our future to this good God. And yet to yield our control to God. So important as Christians, so important. Look at Jesus, right? You can learn a lot from Jesus. We already talked a little bit about it. He sets the example in the garden before his crucifixion. Look at it. He prays to the Father. Remember this prayer. He says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Right? Take this cup of suffering that he's about to drink on the cross. He says, take this cup from me. Yet, say it with me. Not my will, but yours be done. An incredible obedience to the Father. He yields to the Father's will both in his life and in his death. And as followers of Christ... We follow Christ, meaning we want to do what Christ did. We need to follow his example in this. For us, it it might sound something like this. You know, Father God, you know my anxiety. 
You know my fears. You know my stresses, my worries. You know how much I just struggle with about what's next, about my future. But I know you love me. And I know you're for me. And I love you. And I trust you. And I obey you. So I'm letting go. Letting go. Not my will, but yours be done. And with this kind of attitude, with this kind of posture, what we're talking about, we're talking about humility. Humility. Pride, pride says, no, I'm going to have it my way. My wants, my desires, it's my future, it's my money, it's my life. But humility says, no, I'm going to lay it all down. God, have your way. Your will be done. It, it's scary. But as Christians filled with the Holy Spirit, we understand that letting go, yielding to the Lord, it is the best possible thing to do. You want to live your best life possible. Our best possible life is the one that God has created and purposed us to live. Do you believe that? If you do, then we put our faith and our trust in the Father's good, perfect, pleasing will. And I'm not going to tell you it's easy. All right, come on. It's not easy, especially for those of us who like to have this sense of control, right? There's some of us that have every detail of the next 40 years figured out. For you, I mean, this is going to be hard. Trusting God with your future, it's not going to be easy, but it's what we've been called to do. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Listen to it with this, with this idea in mind. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not upon your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your path. He's going to direct your path. He's going to lead you into your future. But it's hard, right? I only got one life to live, right? I don't want to miss out. I got to grab it while it's here. And so we don't trust God. We lean on our own understanding. And when we do this, an unhealthy shift begins to happen. Where, as Christians, where our boast should be, our boast should be in the Lord, our God, who was and is and is to come, who, who is doing amazing things and, and trusting Him, not what He's just doing today, but what He's going to do for us in the future. But when we stop trusting Him, when we stop putting our faith in Him, a shift begins to happen where we begin to put our trust and our faith and make our boast not in God, but in who? In me. Right? We put our faith and trust in ourselves. We say, look at what I've done. Look at what I've created. Look at what I'm doing. Look at the future that I have laid out before me. It is almost a cockiness. The sun will come out tomorrow because I have dominated today. Right? We, it just rises up. And James says, no, 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 no. You don't even know if there will be a tomorrow. And if there is one, by the grace of God, you don't know what's going to happen. Humble yourselves from your selfish pride. Verse 15, he says, instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. I love that. If it is the Lord's will, we will live. Don't gloss over that. If it is the Lord's will, we will live. So we will wake up in the morning. If it is the Lord's will, we will use oxygen. We will get out of bed and we will do this or that. Verse 16, as it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If it is the Lord's will. If it is the Lord's will. Sometimes the, the messages that we preach on Sunday mornings, maybe you don't feel like they apply to your life. Right? Good theology, sound doctrine, but so what? You have a tough time applying it. Well, here you go. You want something to apply 
This will radically change your life, radically, completely, utterly change your life. Do this one thing. Take your life. Take everything and anything that you have set out before you as your possible future. And now I want you to run it through one filter. The filter of if it is the Lord's will, we will do it. So that job you're thinking about taking, if it is the Lord's will. The girl that you want to ask to marry you, if it is the Lord's will. The house you're thinking of buying, the car you're thinking of selling, if it is the Lord's will. The vacation that you want to go on, the nursing home that you want to volunteer at, if it is the Lord's will, we will do it. The coaching job, the board position, the shopping spree, the diet plan, whatever it is, you just say, if it is the Lord's will, we will do it. Come on, Pastor Dan, are you being serious? Yes, I am. Absolutely, because here's the deal. We are so conditioned where our, our decisions and our actions, they come so quickly, right? Before um, we even think about what God would want, right? Based solely on our own wants, our desires, our needs. God and what he wants never enters the equation. And so I'd say to combat this, we need to actually verbalize this. Speak this out loud. Our desire to have God be involved in the decision-making process for our lives. It makes sense, right? I mean, is he alive or not? Is he with you or not? Has he sent the helper, the Holy Spirit to be with you and to help you or not? And if the answer is yes, then we need to say, God, help me, help me, lead me, guide me. Not my will be done, but yours. And begin to do this. It will radically change your life, radically change your life. Praise the Lord. I grew up in a home where this was modeled to me from an early age. My parents, they prayed about Everything. In fact, as a kid, it kind of annoyed you, but they prayed about everything, how they're going to spend their money, what car they should buy, where they're going to go shopping. They prayed about parking spots. They prayed about what movie to watch. They even prayed about where to go on vacation. This is a true story. I remember one time a family in our church gave my parents a vacation for two to Hawaii, which is just awesome. But they prayed about it. And they felt like the Lord was telling them that instead of using that money for just the two of them to go to Hawaii, that they should take the whole family to Disneyland. I think that's awesome because I got to go to Disneyland. So praise the Lord for the Lord. <laughs> Woo! But, you know, they were always open to what God wanted them to do. I always heard them asking God for direction and guidance in their lives. And some of us, we need to start speaking and start praying this way, God, just out loud, God, reveal to me your will. I want to follow your plans for today and tomorrow. God, hear me. God, where are you leading me? Where are you directing me to go? Because right now, if you're not doing that, get your thinking caps on here. If you're not doing that, then you are basing your decisions on common sense, right? What seems to be the right thing to do. Because we all have decisions to make. And so we use common sense. And common sense is a great thing to have. I wish more people in this world had common sense. As a parent, I have been saying this a lot lately. Kids, I just need you to have some common sense. But as Christians, it's important that we don't just base our decisions on common sense. Making decisions solely on common sense, whether it's a good idea or not, that is much different than making decisions based on whether it's the Lord's will or not. Some of you have never thought about that before, but it's true. Common sense and the Lord's will, they are not always the same thing. Uh, this doesn't preach well. And you don't want your kids to hear this because you want them to stay in line and follow the rules and, you know, don't be like me. But for me to ask, listen, for me to ask Mary to be my wife, that was common sense and it was the Lord's will, right? 
It just made sense to ask her to be my wife. She is amazing. If you've met her, she's beautiful, gorgeous, kind, loving, loves Jesus, has a beautiful voice, all wonderful. It was the Lord's will, but I also had the common sense to ask the perfect ten to be my wife. Right? I would have been a fool not to marry her. But when my beautiful bride and I quit our full-time jobs in Spokane four and a half years ago, where we were making some money. I mean, we were doing good, right? Woo! We even had a dog. But we quit those jobs. We left them. We left our house, left our dog, left our friends, left our city. Instead, went with an eight-year-old boy and an infant baby girl to a part-time job in Edgewood. By the way, in Spokane, no one knows where Edgewood is. That wasn't common sense. We looked like fools. We did. We had wise people that I greatly respect pulling us aside and saying, what are you doing? I had a good pastor friend Say, Dan, he, this is flat out, this is what he said. He said, Dan, you are being irresponsible. Don't you know that you have a family to provide for? That was hard to hear. But Mary and I, we knew it was the Lord's will, so we went against common sense. Sometimes as Christians, our, our selfish pride, it gets in the way of doing the radical things that God has called us to do. See, in our sinful pride, we make decisions about our future based on what sounds good. What makes sense? What will benefit us? On what will make us happy? What will bring us money or wealth or security? And all of these things in and of themselves are good things. No one in this world would ever tell you you're making a wrong decision based on one of those things. In fact, to everyone around you, you're going to look pretty responsible. Definitely no one's going to tell you you're sinning, right? Ah, I see that you took the full-time job with benefits, sinner. Right? I just when it happen. No one would say that. Even as bold as I am, I would never tell you that. But often, not all the time, but often, these decisions are made from a place of sinful pride. Now, this is subtle, right? This is subtle, but it is a sinful pride where we are making decisions because we believe we are in control of our lives. Not God, but we. We are in control. We rely on ourselves for our future, not on the sovereign will of God. And James says it's pride and it's a sin. Again, oh, so subtle a pride. Usually no one else is able to point out. But between you and God, you know, it is an arrogant boasting about a tomorrow that may never come. You have put yourself in the place of God. Again, who holds your future? God. And if it's God, then base your decisions on God, not on the things, even the really good things of this world. Pastor Dan, I am so confused. So are you saying that money and happiness and security, common sense, all those things are bad things? Like, help me out. What are you saying? I'm not saying that. In fact, those things can really help you out in life. Money, happiness, security, common sense. If the Lord's will is for me to have some of those things, then bring it on, right? Hallelujah. My point is as good as those things are, they are not what we live for as followers of Christ. That's not what drives us as Christians. By the way, if you are a Christian here this morning, you believe that. Whether right now you believe it, as a Christian, you believe that. You might not have gotten there yet in your life, but as a Christian, as a new creation in Christ, you believe that. That you don't live for those things. We don't. In fact, I would say we have a 2,000 year long legacy of brothers and sisters in Christ who have lived for a higher purpose than the fleeting things of this world. 
brothers and sisters who, regardless of their circumstances, whether they are rich or poor, happy or depressed, secure or fearing for their lives, they live by faith. They live to do the will of God. They live to declare the name of Jesus to this world, regardless of circumstances or what their future might hold. In fact, we walk in the legacy of spiritual giants like the Apostle Paul. Remember what he said? He said, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. But I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, where, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. See, he wasn't driven by the things of this world like possessions or wealth or even food. In all circumstances, he was content and satisfied in who? In the Lord. And I think Paul would say, if it is the Lord's will for you to have money, then praise God. If it is the Lord's will for you to have none, then praise God. Because he knew that our satisfaction, our boast as Christians, is not in what we do or don't have it's in the lord i had a friend in spokane he had a lot of money i mean wow he had a lot of money he had a business down in california moved up to spokane kept on doing business there and he was rich he lived in the biggest house i have ever been in absolutely beautiful and then the economy went down and small businesses like his they went down with the economy all of a sudden the money stopped coming in the income stopped coming in and i was stressed i was stressed for him i was worried for him and for his family but he is a strong christian and i remember him saying dan i've been really blessed and i have money I'm so thankful that God allowed me to put some money into savings. I thought it was for retirement, but God knew that I would need it now during this difficult time. He had such an incredible attitude about a horrible situation. I mean, he lost so much money. I would have freaked out. I would have been so upset and stressed about my financial future, right? The future that I had laid out before me with all my dreams and all my visions of what I was going to do with that money. And now it's all gone down the toilet and I would have freaked out. But instead, this man of God, what did he do? He thanked the Lord for providing for his family during the financial crisis. And, and they had to make radical changes. That beautiful house I was talking about, they had to sell it. They, and at a really low price, I mean, they lost lots of money on it. They had to make other changes as well just to make it. But he trusted in God. He trusted in the will of God, that God was for him and that God loved him. Even as he was talking to me, he didn't know his future. He didn't know if his business would turn around. He didn't know if things would get better or if things would get worse. But that's not what was important to him. No, see, he was a Christian who walks in humility, who instead of boasting about what he's going to do tomorrow, he thanked God for the provision of today. And I learned so much from him. An incredible example of what we're talking about today. But we need to get this right perspective on life, what it's all about. We, we need to be humble enough to realize that we are a mist that appears for a while. And then vanishes. Psalm 39, 5, it says our human life is but a breath. Peter, in 1 Peter 1, he tells us that all people are like grass. All their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. Right? There's a brevity in life. One day we're here. The next we're not. We must value life for the gift that it is. See, it's only by the grace of God that you and I get to experience this life. Every day a gift from God, like Pastor Randy talks about. It's a gift by His love and by His grace. Every day, something we didn't deserve, yet He gives it to us out of His love for us. And so we respond to that gift, right? Our life and how we live our life is a response to the gift that God has given us. And like my friend in Spokane or like the Apostle Paul, we respond by surrendering our life, surrendering our future 
to him. If it is the Lord's will, we will live and we'll do this or do that. If it is the Lord's will, we will live and do what he has called us to do. If it is the Lord's will, regardless of circumstances, if it is the Lord's will, you are driven by the Lord's will being done. The Lord's will being done. The Lord's will be done. You're not driven by a retirement account or pension or raise or anything like that. I'm not saying again that those things are bad. If you are saving for retirement, then hallelujah, save for retirement. But you need to have a one track mind when you are making these decisions. Not will it make me money? Not will it make me happy? Not will it give me security? No, one track mind Jesus 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 the Lord's will be done there's a shift that we have to take I hope you see that there's a shift that some of us a major shift that we need to have take place in our thinking I've never shared this before and I gotta be careful not to mention any names but when Mary and I were deciding which church to work for after we resigned from Life Center North we were given some pretty good pitches by some pretty amazing churches One church up north, they told us that they were uh, looking to retire and that they would hand the church off to us. Another church told me flat out that I would never have to worry about money again if I went and worked for them. And Mary and I, we don't always get it right. I mean, we have lots of flaws and we make a lot of mistakes. And if you know us, you, you see those things. But in that season, we were laser focused on the will of God. I'm, I'm being dead serious. You guys, Mary, those offers did not even tempt us. And there were others as well. They did not even phase us. See, we had had a lot of money. We weren't looking for money. We were looking to do what God had called us to do. And when you start living this way, this is when the Christian walk becomes so real and so exciting and so freeing. You want to be free? You want to be free? Give your life to God and give your future to God. That whether you have money or whether you have none, whether in sickness or health, whether you're in China or Iran or America or Korea, you would just say, God, your will be done. God, your good, perfect and pleasing will have its way in my life. There is a freedom in there. A freedom. Instead of continually, this is what we do, instead of continually wrestling with the will of God, right? Trying to force it into our plans for my life. Anyone ever done that before? God, if you would just do this for me, right? We force his will into our life. Instead of that, we can surrender to his will and let him lead us. But be warned. When you give your future to the Lord and truly surrender your will to his will being done, you're also surrendering the results and the outcomes of your life over to him as well. I want to say that again. When you give your future to the Lord, when you fully surrender your will to his will being done, You're also surrendering the results and the outcomes of your life to him as well. And that is tough for many of us, right? Many Christians have a results-based faith. I see this again and again. Where I trust God with my life, with my future, as long as my kids are healthy, as long as my house is paid for, and as long as my spouse doesn't leave me. A results-based Christianity. But when the child's in the hospital or when we lose our home or when the spouse tells us they don't love us anymore, when crisis hits, our faith crumbles. I guess God doesn't love me. I guess his promises aren't true. And at some degree, we have all done that before. But we need to pray to God, life spring, that he would increase our faith. Increase our faith. Because there is an immaturity in our faith. The dictionary tells us that faith is complete trust. Say complete trust. Hebrews 11 says, faith means being sure. Say being sure. 
being sure of the things we hope for and knowing, say knowing, knowing that something is real, even if we do not see it. That's faith. And sometimes your faith, it will take a hit. Sometimes your faith, it will be challenged. As James said at the beginning of this letter, sometimes your faith, it will be tested. That is a guarantee. But as a Christian, you put your faith and your trust in Jesus. You are a person of faith. You are a person of faith, complete trust, being sure, knowing full confidence in God. And that kind of faith isn't destroyed by negative results, poor outcomes, or lack of success. No. Faith trusts God in the process, even if we never see the results we wanted. We're talking about real faith here. You're going to see some examples of this in the Bible. Remember Moses. We all consider him to be a man of faith. But did he ever set foot on the promised land? No. He saw it, right? But he never stepped foot on the promised land. So the result's not that impressive. He just wandered the desert. But when we look at him, we remember him for his faith in the process. Stephen, remember Stephen? Oh man, he is a man of faith. But he was killed right after he was given that responsibility of overseeing the daily distribution of food. Remember that? Taking care of the widows. He's killed right afterwards. In a results-based faith, he failed. He died before he could even get the ministry going. But he was faithful in the process. And all of us look up to him for his amazing faith. Paul, come on. Reckless abandon to the will of God. Yet, did he have the opportunity to die of old age? Probably not. All but one of the twelve disciples... Martyred for their faith. I've been reading the book on the early history of the church. Thousands upon thousands of early Christians died for their faith. More than we will ever realize. If it was a results-based religion, either they failed their religion or their religion failed them. Right? But Christianity is a religion that says, I give the results to God. I trust Him with my future. Jesus is with me and He loves me. And that's all the result that I need. Jesus plus nothing. Jesus plus nothing. I am now a new creation. Nothing can separate me from the love of God found in Christ Jesus. Not even death itself. You can take my life, but Jesus will never leave me. He will never forsake me. He will abide with me forever and ever on this earth and on into eternity. In fact, I will not know even a single day outside of his presence. He is with me every step of the way in the good times, the bad times, rich or poor, healthy or sick, in the rain or in the sun. When people love me or when people want to kill me, he is with me. He's residing in me and he's shining his light on me. Jesus, I have everything I need in Jesus. So instead of it being about a result, Christianity is about a relationship, right? A day-to-day relationship with Jesus. Jesus plus nothing. It's about the process, about the journey. Not what he's going to do for me in the future, but but about what he's already done for me in the past on the cross. Forever and ever, we will celebrate the cross. Three, I think it was three years ago, summer camp, uh, an amazing speaker. He told us that from 2 to 4 p.m. every day, he just spends this time just praising and singing to God, spending time with God, just hanging out with Jesus. And this man said, he goes, if I or if God never said another word to me, if he never gave me another good gift, I am already satisfied spending every day for the rest of my life Praising him for what he has already done. That stuck with me. Because I don't know if I'm always there, right? But man, 
to stay every day, just hanging out with Jesus, 2 to 4 p.m., relationship with him. I am satisfied in him. He doesn't have to do even one more thing for me. I am satisfied in him for all what he's already done for me. I love that man. People like him are satisfied. They are content in Jesus. Seeing a results-based faith, you will never be satisfied. You won't. There will always be one more thing that you need him to do. Some of you know that's true because you are sitting here, literally sitting here this morning with one more thing that you want God to do, right? If he would just give me that spouse, or if he would just free my kid from addiction, or if he'd just get me off welfare, or heal that disease, or if he'd just allow me to have a child, if he'd just allow me to get that job, just one more thing, and I'd be sold out for him. I'd give him everything. You just need him to do that one more thing. But for those of us who have lived that way, I know I have lived that way. I've gotten caught up into that. There will always be one more thing. And when you have that kind of mentality, you will never be satisfied in Jesus. And a lot of Christians live this way. But this morning, you can be satisfied right now. Where you are, sitting in your seat, you can be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Did you know that? That you can walk out of here like the Apostle Paul, like my friend in Spokane, content in the Lord. As you humbly depend upon the Lord, you can trust that you have everything you need in Jesus Christ. In Jesus, by the way, your sins are forgiven. In Jesus, by the way, starting right now, you have eternal life. What more could we need? I challenge us. I I challenge me to be satisfied in Christ right now while we're in the midst of the journey, while we're in the midst of the challenges of life. Because as one who is satisfied in Jesus, you won't need certain things to happen in your future. As one who is satisfied in Christ, you can actually give all your stresses, all your worries, all your anxiety about your future to him who, by the way, holds your future. And here you are set free from a results-driven faith. And you can lay down your life before him. I'm talking about everything. I mean everything. The future of your kids, your family, your job, your health, your wealth. You say, not my will, but yours be done. Here is my life. Here is my future. It is for you, Lord, that we will live. And let us do what you have created us to do. Uh, Utmost for his highest. Anyone ever read that devotional book before? Awesome. I see it at many of your toilets. Um, Such a good... Uh, devotional. But Oswald Chambers is the author of those. And and one of his entries, he talks about how God's purpose for your life, God's purpose for your life is found in the process instead in the outcome. I want to read it to you. It's really good. He says, we tend to think that if Jesus Christ compels us to do something and we are obedient to him, he will lead us to a great success. We should never have the thought that our dreams of success are God's purpose for us. In fact, his purpose may be exactly the opposite. We have the idea that God is leading us toward a particular end or a desired goal, but he is not. The question of whether or not we arrive at a particular goal is of little importance. In reaching it becomes merely an episode along the way. What we see is only the process of reaching a particular end. God sees as the goal itself. What is my vision of God's purpose for me? Whatever it may be, his purpose is for me to depend on him and on his power now. If I can stay calm, if I can stay faithful and unconfused while in the middle of the turmoil of life, the goal of the purpose of God is being accomplished in me. God is not working toward a particular finish. His purpose is in the process itself. What he desires for me is that I see him, see Jesus walking on the sea with no shore, no success, no goal in sight. 
But simply having the absolute certainty that everything is all right because I see Jesus walking on the sea. It is in the process, not the outcome, that we glorify God. God's training is for now, not later. I love that. God's training is for now, not later. His purpose is for this very minute, not for some time in the future. We have nothing to do with uh, what will follow our obedience, and we are wrong to concern ourselves with it. What people call preparation, God sees as the goal itself. God's purpose is to enable me to see that he can walk on the storms of my life right now. If we have a further goal in mind, we're not paying enough attention to the present time. However, this is good. If we realize that moment by moment obedience is the goal, then each moment as it comes is precious. Wow. Moment by moment obedience is the goal. And then we realize that each moment, every moment, is precious. And to get to that place where we truly live for today instead of being consumed by tomorrow, we must lay down our pride. Again, it's a subtle pride, a pride no one's probably going to point out to you, not even your pastor. But it's a pride that the Holy Spirit can reveal to you this morning. I believe that. It's a pride that he wants to reveal to you this morning. This pride that makes these arrogant boasts about tomorrow. A pride that is preoccupied with and depends upon results and outcomes. But instead, we've got to humble ourselves. Humble ourselves. Fully depend upon God. Let go of control. Stop worrying about tomorrow and instead live wholeheartedly for today. Is this making sense? And I want to close with this. Because here's the real danger of boasting about tomorrow or worrying about tomorrow. Is it distracts us from what God wants to do in us and through us today. I love verse 17. It's, it's to the point and it's really good. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it's a sin for them. If you don't do the good you ought to do, then it's a sin. He just calls it out, right? When we are full of pride, consumed by our selfishness, consumed with our plans for tomorrow, we miss out on the good works that God has called us to do today. Remember Ephesians 2.10? For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. But some of us are walking right over them, trying to get to tomorrow. Have you ever done that? Where you are so consumed by tomorrow that we miss out on what God wants to do in us and through us today. We've all done that, right? We're talking about the day before vacation. I don't have time to go to the hospital or help at that moving party or to give someone counsel. I'm going on vacation. I got swim shorts in one hand and sunscreen in the other. But James tells you and he's telling me this morning, if you know the good that you ought to do and you don't do it, I don't care what day it is, it's a sin. Now, there is time for rest and relaxation. Praise the Lord for sunscreen. And just because, by the way, and just because something is good doesn't mean that you're supposed to do it. Don't get caught up in where you're just like trying to do every good thing around you. No, 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 no. But if it is a good that God has called you to do, right? And you know the difference. If it is a good that God has called you to do, specifically you to do, and you don't do it, It's a sin. Stop making excuses for it. It is a sin. That means if the Lord told you to go mow Sally Sue's yard, but you go hiking instead, I hate to break it to you. Thank God for his grace, but you should be mowing her yard. I get it. It was a beautiful day, right? You needed the exercise. You want to be out in nature and God's creation. But if it was the Lord's will for you to mow her yard and you don't do it, I don't care how nice it is outside. It's a sin. If we are preoccupied with our selfish desires and not willing to do what the Lord has called us to do, it's a sin. 
No matter how you try to justify it or rationalize it, it's a sin. You don't do the good that you're supposed to do, it's a sin. Now, praise the Lord, as Christians, we are not defined by our sin. Hallelujah for the mercy of God. We are defined by who we are in Jesus Christ. And this is good news. And this is good news that this morning we actually have a hope in Christ, that God is working in us by the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. If that's how you came in this morning, that's not how you have to leave today. He wants to actually help you this morning, today, right now. In this moment, you can humble yourself, release control of your life again, back to God. Again, allow him to have his way in your life. He will respond to us. He loves his kids. He responds to his kids. And we can rise up in faith and we can depend upon him. Depend upon his voice and his leadings and his promptings and do, actually do what he is calling us to do. We can do that today. There is an opportunity that you and I have today. We don't live in guilt and condemnation. We live in freedom. And it is a freedom to declare that not my will be done, but yours, oh God. And it's hard. I get it. If you need me to put my arm around you later, I will. It's hard, right? This message is hard. It's hard for me as I was preparing it. I'm I'm like, Jim, like, ah, Like, I I see what's there, but I know what's in here. And there's just a... mm. But I believe that I have everything I need in Jesus Christ. And that by the power of the Holy Spirit, He can work on me today. He's not done with me. He's not. He's faithful to complete a good work that He started. But it's a hard message. In fact, you're not going to hear this message anywhere. You're not going to hear it in your schools. You're not going to hear it in your workplace. You're not going to hear it in some of your families. Because surrendering surrendering your life, surrendering your plans and your future to the Lord, it is completely contrary to the way this world operates. The life spring, we don't have to be like the world. Life spring, we don't have to operate like the world operates. We don't have to live by the standards of this world. We live by the Spirit of God. Isn't that exciting? We can live in surrender. We can live in humility. We can live in a recognition that God is in control, that God holds our future and that he wants to direct us and lead us out of his great love for us, that he has plans to prosper us, not to harm us, but plans to give us a hope and a future. And here's the reality. Even if you disagree with everything that the word has to say this morning, even if you cannot receive anything, even one word that I've said, hear this. Whatever your future may hold in the natural, in the material, In the supernatural, in the things that matter, like your soul, your future has no hope without a relationship with Jesus. Because on your own, in your sin, you will definitely, eventually be brought down. Whether it's your jealousy, or your envy, or your anger, or your fighting, your drunkenness, sexual immorality, pride, whatever it is, outside of Jesus, you cannot escape your sin, and your sin will lead you to death. And you can boast about tomorrow, and your plans, and your future, and what you're going to do here, and what you're going to do there, and... Even if everything goes exactly as you plan and you get everything you want, like, I mean, I'm talking everything, right? Your successes and your greatest achievements will never be enough to give you what you truly need, which is a savior. You need a savior, one who can forgive you of your sins and give you eternal life. Because some of you are going down a scary path, a path that will ultimately lead to destruction. The Bible says pride comes before destruction. And an arrogant spirit comes before a fall. Jesus tells us that everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself 
will be exalted. Today we have an opportunity to humble ourselves. To humble ourselves in, in, in humility. Surrender. Accept what Jesus has done for us on the cross. We can trust Him as our Lord and our Savior. Not just for today, but for the rest of our life. You are hopeless and lost without Him. Darkness will follow you wherever you go. But if you put your faith in Him, if you release control of your life to Him, if you allow Him to lead you and to guide you, if you let go and let God, then your future, even your eternity, will be bright. Let's pray. Lord, right now, in this moment, with your Spirit here, There is a pride that we need to ask forgiveness for. And there is a pride that needs a humility that only comes by your wisdom to come in right now. And this is a pride that, again, looks so attractive. It doesn't, the world would never say we were doing something wrong. No one could ever point it out. It's a subtle pride. But it's a pride that puts ourselves in the place of you, God. That makes our wants, our desires, our plans, our dreams, our hopes, the goal instead of your plans, your dreams, your visions, your hope for our life. And God, for me, I want to live the best life possible. Like if there was a life that was created for Daniel Allen Birch, I want it. Whatever that is, whatever heartbreak that comes with, whatever trials whatever suffering I got to trust that you are a good God who is for me and not against me I got to trust that before I was created in my mother's womb you said oh man this is going to be good when I made damn birds I made something special I do not make junk I make beautiful things I make all things new I just pray that over every one of us Lord that we would be able to surrender and trust you again where we have taken control of those reins in our lives where we have out of our fear and our anxiety, grabbed once again the reins of our life. I pray that today, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would give us the supernatural power to let go. To let go. Just even now, Lord, by your Spirit, that we could let go. Even now, Lord, by your Spirit, that we could let go. We could let go. And it might be hard. And it might be challenging. There might be tears, but you're going to be with us every step of the way. We'll stay consumed on Jesus' face. Jesus, Jesus, I'm hurting, Jesus. I'm in pain, but you're with me. Jesus, my family member just died, but you're with me. Jesus, my body is failing me. It's falling apart, but you're with me. Jesus, I'm so depressed. I'm so discouraged, but you're with me. Your joy comes in the morning. Jesus, I'm living for the things of this world, but Jesus, you're the sole desire of my heart once again. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus this morning and you want to know him and you want to trust him as your Lord and Savior, I just need to see you right now. If you just raise your hand so I can see you and we can pray together. I'd love for you to have that relationship with him. If there's anyone in this room, because you need him. Well, good. Well, then it's just a bunch of new creations, forgiven and free. 
hanging in the house. So God, then we say, have your way. We don't want to be living for the lesser things of this world. We don't want to compromise. We don't want to sin. Just get it out of here. Get rid of it. We just cast it aside. Instead, we just speak in unknown languages. We, we just begin to just be filled up by your spirit. We, we begin to dive into your word on a daily basis. We begin to allow the fruit of the spirit just flow out of our mouths. We begin to just be dripped. These are all the promises that we have in you, Jesus. We don't even have to make this stuff up. It's just what you give us out of your goodness and give it to us. And whether we die tomorrow or live for another 40, 50 years, it's good because there'll never be a moment without your presence. Hallelujah. That I can be so satisfied in you, Jesus. Even with tears streaming down my face like they were a little bit this week. I am satisfied in you, Jesus. Even when this world doesn't make sense and when I'm confused and when I'm a little bit anxious, I can say, Jesus, but I have all I need in you. And I thank you that you are my peace right now that passes understanding that there is even a peace that guards my mind and my heart in Christ Jesus, that I am truly acknowledging you in all my ways. Lord, I'm not going to trust anymore on my little plans for my life, but I'm laying them down. I'm trusting in you, knowing that you have a future for me, that you will direct my path. And whatever path you want to direct me on is the greatest life possible that I could ever have. And so I'm going to trust in you, Jesus, that you are for me and not against me, that you are a good God who has plans to prosper, prosper me, Lord. You are for me, not against me. For me, not against me. And if that means just hanging out with you a little earlier in the house, in heaven, then, man, we got to get to a faith where it says that'll be okay. I love Keith Green. I was, we had a little more Keith Green in us. Jesus, let us stand upon the shoulders of those spiritual giants before us that weren't living for the things of this world, but they were living for you, Jesus. And in eternity, it's not going to matter whether we had this or we had that or live this long or live this long. It's going to matter if we had faith. It's going to be about faith. It's going to be about the cross and trusting and having faith in the cross. So with that, Jesus, we just thank you, God, for this morning. We thank you, God. We thank you, God.